are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Well, good morning and uh, welcome again to Hope Church. My name's Chris and I just get the joy of leading the church. Wasn't it just so great seeing our, our kids having so much fun? putting together this video and, and real thanks to our kids workers for just doing such a great job at helping our kids have fun and stay connected in lockdown. I'm, I'm delighted that this morning we're starting this new series called A Blueprint for Life and throughout this series uh, finding verses in your Bible actually should be a real breeze because uh, we're going to be speaking from that first book of the Bible which is Genesis and uh, over the next 10 weeks we'll be doing that and we're going to look at the first 12 chapters of Genesis so just just the first 12 um, and perhaps we'll look at the the, the other 38 at, at another point but just before we get stuck in let me tell you a little something about myself I was born in Sheffield but I spent the first five years of my life in the Congo the DRC but my teenage years were growing up in Brighton. I seem to have moved around quite a lot. And I, I went to school in Brighton and, and that's where my teenage years was. And during that time, my dad was a, a farmer. For some years, I had made the assumption that I would also be a farmer too, or follow in his footsteps in some way. I didn't particularly try hard at school, as you might imagine, nor had I much aspiration or ambition to do anything different. Because, you know, as the saying goes, knowing where you come from helps you to know where you're going. So I, I still remember the, the day when I found out that my dad, far from being a low paid labourer, actually had a distinguished degree in agricultural science from the University of Kinshasa, the, the capital of Congo. I discovered that he was a project manager for many years in a large sugarcane plantation with over 20,000 employees. And when I discovered that, I had the, the confidence to realise that perhaps I could also do something more than what I'd allowed myself to imagine or envision. Now, now don't get me wrong, I still quite liked the idea of working as a farmer or a tradesperson. In fact, I even spent some time working on building sites out of school. But I did discover that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that that's where I would end up a weight, I guess, was kind of lifted off of my shoulders um, that I could do more than, than I'd kind of dreamed or imagined of. You know, knowing where you come from helps you to know where you're going. And in the same way, an architect's plans are like the roots or the blueprint, the, the origins of the idea of how the building is to be built. It's something that builders can continually check back on throughout the building phase to see if they're on track or if they've deviated from the plan. So let me give you a bit of context because God gave Genesis to the Hebrews and to the people of God so that they know what the great architect's plans are so that they can refer back to it as they build their lives and their community. And uh, as we start this series, it's good to know that Genesis it actually wasn't a book that always existed or that the knowledge of it always had been around forever. 
or known by God's people. It was given to the people of God, known as Hebrews, once they had fled from Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. It was given so that this kind of rabble of a group could grow into a nation. It was given because without knowing where you've come from, it's hard to know where you're going. And it's hard to know what your purpose is. It's hard to know what you can dream or imagine your future could be like if you don't know your, your background, if you don't know your origins. It was given as a blueprint or, and a foundation of which to build the nation of God. And you know what? It's given to us today. The Hebrews were born into slavery under Egyptian leadership and they were immersed in Egyptian culture. In fact, the second part of Genesis, you know, from chapter 12, really to chapter 50, tell the story of how they came to be in Egypt in the first place. And the history of the world as they knew it was Egyptian history. A world which revolved around Ra and Remesis and the other gods. A world which they were told was created by the Egyptian gods Artem's own spit, snot and semen. A story of their origins that they had no reason to disbelieve. But as the philosopher Cicero exclaims, to be ignorant of what happened before you were born is to remain a child always. You know, every culture has its own creation story, even ours today. But as Moses was speaking to God up Mount Sinai for 80 days, as this new nation started to embark on their journey to the promised land, God gave his people a scandalously different story about who they were and where they came from. Genesis. It means origins or beginnings and it is the god-inspired history of the world it claims that the world does not evolve around ra or, or any other human god but began at the word of the one true god yahweh and is sustained by him the same god that had just delivered the people from israel and so in this series we're going to delve into part one of genesis those first 12 chapters and which describe you know the world's earliest millennia we'll see that um, that whilst many people kind of fixate on the the howls of the book actually we're going to focus on the who because it, it doesn't the book doesn't try to prove that god exists or even that he's the only true god just that he is and everything began with him he spoke and the world came to be. He breathed and the human race came to life. And knowing what came before made the world of difference for the Hebrew nation. If the world had truly begun with their God, then their lives had purpose and they needed to follow him. And so, so throughout this series, we're going to unpack God's purpose for our lives, for his creation. We're going to look at the consequences of sin, our identity, the covenant promises that God gives, the importance of family and much more. And I'm praying that as we rediscover our origins, that we will learn God's blueprint for our lives. From this amazing book of Genesis that every other book in the Bible refers back to as a source and a foundation as something that pinpoints them as as they press on and tells us the rest of the book 
So uh, our youth team then uh, are just incredible. And uh, just like the kids team, they've, been, they've just been working so well during this pandemic and serving our, our young people so well. I mean, incredibly, our youth team, um, whilst many groups have remained static, has actually doubled in size during the pandemic. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to hear from a different young person who are going to read the passage for us. And so this week, we've got Sienna. And so I just want to encourage you to sit back, to listen to Sienna, to listen to God's word as she speaks to us from Genesis chapter 1. I am reading Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called, that, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let, the vault, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seeds bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be light in the vault of the sky. Separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which the water teems and that moved about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters 
in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase the number, and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seeds in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, every thing that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work and had been doing so on the seventh day. He rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Well, thank you so much, Sienna. Isn't just, it's just such an incredible story, a story which we you probably would have most likely heard many times from a young age. I imagine that whether you're uh, new to Christianity, whether you've been a Christian for many years, that actually many people in our culture would have heard of this story of the seven days of creation. But incredibly, it's also a passage that in the West is often disregarded or regarded as obsolete, even regarded with incredulity at its primitive nature. The reason is, is that in the West, we just can't help but ask the question, but how? How? How long did it take? How did it happen? 
Now these can be good questions and in fact we're going to give over a whole evening in a few weeks time called Cafe Theology to look at Genesis and the various different creation perspectives that are out there. We'll also have plenty of Q&A time too, so there is a, a time to ask the, the how question and it's, there's a time to look at the various different theories, but up front I want you to know that there is no official Hope Church view on it. You can find good Christians on all sides of the creation debate and you'll find Christians, good Christians in our church on all sides too and do you know what, that's absolutely fine. This is an open-handed issue. Today, we're going to focus on the why and the what. You know, we have an incredible tech team behind the scenes. It's Josh today, sometimes it's Sean, sometimes it's Will. And they make everything happen um, that, and what you're seeing right now. I remember one Sunday turning up to the office and uh, Sean was there with his multiple screens and he had these cables and plugs and widgets and thingamabobs and doodars. And when I look at that kind of stuff, I find myself intrigued by it. But my first question is not, hmm, I, I wonder how long that thing took to manufacture. No, that's not my question. It's more like, oh, why do we need it? What's it for? What's its purpose? What does it do? And do I need it? Is it for me? Can it, can it do something for me? You know, the intention of Genesis chapter one is not to tell us how long it took to form the world. It's not a science book, but it's to look at the deeper questions of who made it, what he thought of it, what's its purpose, who is it for? And so the way that Genesis is structured, structured is important for us to take note of. Did you spot, you know, from Sienna's reading and from the video, the patterns that come out in the reading? Over and over again, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and it was, and it was, and it was, and it was. Evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. And God saw, and God saw, and God saw, and God saw. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. You know, these things repeat themselves often throughout the whole thing. And this is much more like the language of a song than the language of a textbook. Genesis 1 is like the song of creation. And so I want us to spend time looking at what it actually says rather than what it doesn't and what it teaches us about God and about ourselves. And so there's three key things I want to pull out from the chapter. And the first one is that God began the world. And it says at the beginning, in the beginning, God. God created. In the beginning, God created. And up until this point, the Hebrews understood the world as the Egyptians understood it. Uh, that viewpoint was that the world was made by accident. In fact, most ancient cultures thought that the world and creation had no purpose at all. They thought that the world came about by, by accident. You know, in many cultures, this was to do with prehistoric gods kind of fighting with one another. And as they chucked the matter of the universe at each other, an accidental byproduct of that was that the earth was formed. In these ancient worldviews, nature is devalued or it has as little value as spit. 
this worldview suggests that the world is is rubbish and has no purpose um, and that physical beings like you and me can be discarded, used and abused because we're all here by accident anyway. In this ancient worldview, there is no social justice. You just get what you deserve. There's no care for plants, animals, ecosystems. And in fact, the purpose of life is really to escape this world and go into a spiritual realm because that's the true meaning to be found there. Uh, that's where the gods are. You know, Genesis, it stands against that ancient culture and it says, no, it is good. It is good. It is good. Genesis stands against the ancient polytheistic view of, of nature and says, do you know what? It's good and it's worth protecting. It's worth studying. It's worth looking after. And Genesis says that it's not cosmic chaotic accident, but actually God formed it and spoke it into being. It was his intention to bring the world about. And it is good. Genesis says that the world matters and that we're called to look after it and care for it. You know, of all people in the world, Christians should be those who, who look after the world, who care for it, who think about climate change and so on. Because all these things are social justice issues. When we don't care for the world, we don't care for God's good creation. And the result is that people suffer. You know, in a moderate climate like ours that stays the same, we don't see the effects of climate change too much. But if you live at the extremes, then what happens is that you can't chart floods because they just come and go. You, you can't chart droughts because they, they last for longer and they come more frequent. And so those people who live in, in those more extreme climates where it's really cold in the winter and, and hot in the summer actually are affected massively and livelihoods and lives are at stake. So climate change isn't just an environmental issue, it's a social justice issue. And Genesis 1 reminds us why, it's because God made the world and God made it good. That refrain, and God said, and God made, and it was good, shows us that far from being a mistake, God created and intended the world for purpose. So when we experience that sunset and it sets our breath away, we're seeing the world as God made it. When we have food and we say, oh, that's so good, we're experiencing the world as God made it. When we fall in love and we have that experience, we're feeling that goodness that God made. It's his gift. And it's how he intended creation to be. So Genesis stands against that ancient worldview of creation. But you know what? It also stands against modern views that the world came from nothing. The modern view of creation is that it is the ultimate thing and the only thing that there is nothing other than the world and the universe. It came from nothing and there's nothing outside of it. There's nothing else other than the universe. But Genesis tells us that the world, good as though it is, good as though it is, it reflects the goodness of something greater. The amazing, intricate and outstanding bits of creation reflect the incredible creator. It's not the only thing to live for because there's more to life than this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the world was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said and God made and God saw and it was good. You know, ironically, in the same way that the ancient creation stories meant that the world was formed by accident, the modern view equally describes our existence as random 
And so there's no purpose to your life outside of what you see, hear and feel. In both views, the world, creation and people are a mistake or a mutation of random chance. But Genesis stands against both and it says the world has value, it is good and the world has purpose and there is someone who made it for you and he is God and you can know him. You're not random, you're not a mistake, you're not here by accident, but you have significance. There is something outside of the world and the universe and it is God. So point one, God began the world. Point two, God gave it purpose. Yeah, and God gives us purpose. You know, we've looked at the patterns of the words so far, but let's also look at the structure of Genesis 1. Because you might say, well, oh, the structure is easy. It's just seven, seven parts. Or some people might say, well, it's six days, six days, and then one day off. But actually, I believe it's really two sets of three plus one. Let's look at those uh, seven days. On the first three days, God formed stuff. So day one, God made day and night. He, he made the universe. Um, and, you know, and it says he, separate, he made that, the light and the darkness. And he made the universe. Day two, God makes the sky and the sea. And he creates these vaults to separate the, the waters above, it says, and the waters below. And it's, it's the sky and the sea. Day three, God makes the land and the vegetation. So that's our first set of three days. But notice that God doesn't just make stuff randomly and then just discard it. No, he gives it all purpose. He gives it significance. He gives it identity. So having formed day, night, sea, sky and land plants, now he's going to fill those spaces. And so day four, he fills the universe. And what does he fill it with? He fills it with sun, stars and, and moons. And uh, he, he gives it like purpose. On day five, he fills the sky with birds and he fills the sea with fish. On day six, in parallel to day three, he now fills that land with animals and livestock and humans to enjoy the vegetation, the plants, the trees and the fruit. Everything that God created on those first three days, he gave meaning and purpose to on those second three days. He gave it significance. You know, this shows us that God is not wasteful. He doesn't make things without purpose. You know, When I was 19 or so, I got an Easter job at a cake factory. I think it was Kate's Cakes. And they made millionaire shortcake. They made brownies. They made all sorts of types of things like that. The types of things that you'd buy in a pack of five from like M&S or Waitrose or Sainsbury's or something like that. And these things, they would come along a conveyor belt. And uh, um, any that weren't perfectly square, they would be defects. And so they would go in the rubbish pile and the rest would get packed away. In fact, we would throw away hundreds and hundreds of imperfect brownies and millionaire shortcakes and all that kind of stuff. In fact, they would put a load of it in the staff room, but the, as staff, we couldn't eat it fast enough to keep on top of it, so loads of it had to be chucked away. You, you know, do you know that what, that God, sorry, is not wasteful. However tough your life is, You're not an imperfect cookie that God discards or that he says is not good enough, even for the staff room. 
You have been made and God looks at you and God says, it is good. You are good. It's not even a, oh, it will do. You know, that's the type of thing I would have said sometimes when I was checking, you know, the millionth cookie of that day. Oh, that would be all right. No, no. God has an affectionate, it is good. It's the type of thing that you would say after having a real nice drink or, or a mouthful of wonderful food. Oh, that's good. God says that of me and you. It is good. You know, this must have been amazing news to the Hebrews as they embark on being the people of God, as all they've ever known is slavery. As they get ready to travel over the desert to the promised land, they are being told by God that they too have purpose and significance. That God is not going to discard them when they mess up. They're not going to be left on the rubbish heap, but he made them for purpose. And just as he made the world and the universe, as he formed all those things and then gave them purpose and significance, he has made them and gives them purpose and significance. He made the world they live in for them. And you know what they needed to hear this because they were about to embark on a 40 year round trip of the desert. And we know that there were times when they, they felt abandoned, but whenever they felt low, they could hear again those words that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai. You have purpose, you have purpose, you have purpose. You know, not only that, but by, by then, you get another encounter, another countercultural statement from God. And that is this, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And God, he gave the world purpose and he gave people significance. And having been in Egypt, the view of women bearing the image of gods would have been absurd. Yet here we get this countercultural statement that together, men and women bear God's image. One on their own is deficient, it's not enough. We need both, men and women, flourishing, being fruitful, multiplying and filling the earth with uh, their goodness, with their reflection of who God is. This is at the root of the ideals of equality that we see in our culture. This passage right here, because this tells us that people aren't significant because of what they do for us. It tells us that people aren't significant for what they can offer society. It tells us that people, people's significance, it doesn't come from their abilities or their intellect or their strength. No, they are significant because they are people, because they're humankind. And when we place people's value or their rights on anything other than just their humanity, you know, we fall far short from God's blueprint. This tells us that we have an obligation to the old, to the very young, to the weak, to the marginalised, to those whose mental faculties are deteriorating because their value doesn't come from what they offer us, but because they are people. They are image bearers. They are made in God's image and they are good. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. That was the end of the sixth day. So, you know, God began the world, God gave it purpose. And the third thing I want to pull out is that God pursues us. You know, God, he didn't just set the world off and say, see ya guys, good luck, have a nice time. No, actually God was immediately and intimately invested in his creation. 
You know, like me, you've probably always viewed the creation story as one set of seven. But as I mentioned before, I wonder if it's really two, two sets of three and then a one. Next week, actually, we're going to spend the whole morning on that one day and what it means for God to rest and therefore for us to rest too. But the point I want to make today is this, that rather than thinking of this day as God's seventh day, what about if we viewed it as Adam's first day? It's not just the end of God's week, it's also the beginning of Adam's. You know, when we do that, what we see is that on Adam's first full day on this earth, God wasn't busy making, fixing, working, producing, but God stopped. We know in chapter three that God walked in the garden and spent time with his creation. And on this first day of Adam's life, everything is done. All the seeds are planted, the garden is watered, the fruit is ripe, all the work is done, and all Adam can do is enjoy spending time with God, exploring his creation, the sounds, the smells, the, the, the adventure of what God has created, enjoying its fruit, discovering its animals. You know, God wasn't too busy to connect with Adam. And, and check this out, Adam didn't even, he spend his, his first day working uh, either for the approval of God. He didn't have to work hard to kind of say, hey, look what I've been able to do. He, he didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was just enjoy God's presence and the presence of being in the garden. He didn't have to work for his sustenance. He just spent the day enjoying God's good creation in his presence. You know, again, for the, for the Hebrews in the desert, looking forward to this promised land flowing with milk and honey, yet experiencing a dry desert, little food, heat of the day, isolated in their tents. This was a message of hope that whilst their current day experience might not be like this, there is a day coming when it will be. You know, during this season, you might have had all sorts of fears about life, about death, about sickness, about health. But just when preparing for this morning, I just believe God wanting to assure you, assure some of you that when that day comes that you die or when Jesus returns, you won't view that as the end of your week, but the beginning. You won't view it as your last day, but as your first day, your first day of forever. And it will be amazing, full of incredible adventure, sights and sounds, a time to just spend with God. When it's all done, there's no more trying and striving and, and working and, and, and no, there's none of that. It will be the new Eden, new creation, new beginnings, new hope. In the beginning, God began the world and God gave it and us purpose and value and significance. And God pursued us. He spent time with us. He connected with us. This is the song of creation. And in a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to worship God again. But just before we do, I think it's just worth asking, if this is the blueprint, why is it then that so often what we see doesn't match up to this picture painted in Genesis 1? And in a few weeks, we're going to see how Adam and Eve, how, how the Hebrews and how ourselves, we ourselves choose not to build our lives by this blueprint. But that doesn't mean that the blueprint is wrong. In fact, we find out throughout the rest of the Bible that Jesus comes to reinstate, uh, to build it and to welcome us in. Just as God began the world, he wasn't alone. You know, in the first three verses of Genesis, uh, you know, that we've just read, we get in the beginning, God. 
We get the spirit of God hovering over the waters and we get God spoke, let there be light. We get God's word. We get God, we get spirit and we get his word. That, um, that word hovered for this that the spirit of god was doing that's not like a drone hovering far above the earth over or over a city or something but it that word hover is used in throughout the bible as like a bird hovering over its young it's it's caring it's intimate it's it's intricate it's it's loving you know that's how the word is used in the rest of the bible and so as we get jesus being baptized the spirit of god descends on him like a dove it's that same picture of a bird hovering over Jesus. We get the, in that moment the proclamation of God speaking, saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And of course, we've got the son there too, who in Genesis, the first thing that is spoken into creation is light. You know, it says in the beginning, God created the, the light. And you know what? In John 1, we get this, these words being spoken about Jesus. It says this, mapping Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it in john's introduction to the world of jesus we have god affirming his son we have the spirit hovering over him and we have the son being declared the light of the world this is the one who began the world who came from heaven to earth to pursue us to restore us to give us rest to give us life and life to the full to give us purpose and he declares in matthew 28 to go into the world again like genesis to to multiply again like genesis to subdue it to tell all peoples about me to baptize them in my name and who is my name It's father son and spirit and who will that one the god who will never leave us or forsake us do you know what just as god began the world jesus began the world just as god gives us purpose jesus gives us purpose and just as god pursues us jesus went from heaven to earth to pursue me and you to restore us to reinstate this blueprint of all that god is going to do in the new creation in new heavens and earth in the new eden that we can enjoy when we can enjoy rest with our heavenly father and worship him and so that's what we're going to do now we're going to we're going to worship our god from this amazing book that helps us to understand god's blueprint so let's pray and we'll worship heavenly father i just want to thank you so much for this this love song this creation song that you have given us to help us to know who you are lord i thank you that it reminds us that your world is good and that you are good and that you have made it good and that we should treasure it and look after it and care for it i thank you lord god that you know it shows us that you're not a wasteful god that when you create things you create it for purpose and just as you have created each and every one of us lord god you have given us purpose to follow you to trust you to live for you and i pray lord god that you would help us never to think of ourselves uh, uh, or anyone else as anything other than good and perfect and pleasing to you Thank you, Lord God, that you're, you're never too busy for us. You're never too busy to connect with us. And that on that first full day, that was your desire to rest and to spend time showing 
Adam, your good creation. Thank you, Lord God. We don't have to strive or earn or work to please you. But on our first full day, on Adam's first full day, it was all done. It was all done. You did it. And I thank you, Lord God, that as we come and as we come to know you, that that is the message of the gospel, that it is done. You did it on the cross. It is finished. And we can now enjoy rest and restoration in you. And so I just pray this morning, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Lord, would you let us know that through the power of your son and spirit and you, God, that you can meet with us today. I pray, Lord God, as we explore the origins of our story, of your story that you've given us for our lives, that we would dream and imagine all that you might do in us and through us in this day, I pray. Fill us with your spirit in your heavenly name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10am. Head to hopechurchgilford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.